Content warning, this podcast contains mentions of transphobia. Hi everyone, welcome back to Queer Sounds. I'm sorry I missed last episode, but sometimes things go the way they go, am I right? As always, my name is Hannah, my pronouns are they, them, and... Um, Okay, you know what? I'm going to share something with you. I got out of a conversation with my psychiatrist the other day. He wrote up his report, as you do, and used some super invalidating language when it comes to my non-binary identity. Um, I can only imagine that I'm not the only one that has ever happened to. Um, So if you want to share your stories, if you want to offend, you know where to find me. Um, that's at Queer Sounds Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Vent away. Um, I might not even. I mean, I will probably read them all, but you can just let me know. Like, hey, you don't need to respond to this. I just want to get this off my shoulders. Then, um, then, then, then I'm here for you. Um, speaking of sharing stories, if you're interested in sharing your stories with the entire community, you can do so in the Queer Sounds Discord. Uh, access to that you can get through Patreon. That's patreon.com slash queersounds. And yeah, we're gonna gonna make some friends there. Um, but uh, with that out of the way, I'm glad to be back. Today my guest is Nielsen Gupta, Deputy Manager of Center for Studies and Gender uh, in the University of Delhi, India. Um... What's what's the specific name for that again, Neil? Sorry, uh, Hannah, that's not University of Delhi. That's Ashoka University. Ah, all right. Um, so my information has been uh, has 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 <laughs> aged. I'm I'm sorry, but no, before, before I can get any more mistakes in, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Hannah, and it's really it's it's an absolute pleasure to be here with you today and with all the amazing people who will be um, tuning in to the podcast. Um, you know, personally, I think Queer Sounds is a fantastic project that you've put together. Thank you. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it gives us new ways to think about uh, music and queerness, um, and I'm uh, and I look forward to it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and my pronouns are she and her. Just yeah. All right, welcome to the show. Um, so I got the university wrong. What, what what is the correct thing, and what is it that you do there? Yeah, so I work as uh, the deputy manager at uh, the Center for Studies in Gender and Sexuality, or CSGS, in Ashoka University. Um, that's in Haryana, India, which is near to Delhi. So you're you're a very academic person, and um, I don't think I would call myself academic, but maybe a blend. You do? <laughs> okay. Well, how would you describe yourself then? Well, you know, I the best of both ways. Uh, Sometimes academia can be dismissive of advocacy and activism. Uh, so maybe both advocacy and academia, uh, bridging theory and practice. And that's also part of the work we do at the center. Um, so, yeah, that's mostly, yeah. But I'm not, uh, you know, I'm okay with the tag also. <laughs> it gives you some excitement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's a part of um, what I come across in you on the internet. Like, um there's, yeah. There are only so many things, there are only so many, so many links out there. And um, <laughs> especially looking for one specific person, like the, the published bits are what's yeah. most obvious. I don't know. Um, uh, let's, let's get into your activism later. Before we dive into all of that, let's actually get some music going. The welcoming track for today um, I'm probably going to butcher this name, so I'm going to let you pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's uh, it's in Bengali, and it's called Aju Sakhi Mohu Mohu. I mean, usually I try, um, but, you know, it's... I don't, I don't want to make <laughs> any more mistakes than I've already made. Anyway, here we go. Aju Sakhi Mohu Sita, 
So, the first thing I noticed about this track, it doesn't really have an intro. Just kind of, at the first sound, bam, it's there. And right off the bat, it sets an atmosphere. So, um, but before I go in um, uh, with with too many prejudices, uh, Neil, (laughs) take it away. Why did you select this song to be today's opener? So, um... Hannah, you know, so this is one of my most fondest songs to dance to. Um, And I'll give you a taste of the translation, just uh, one or two lines. Uh, At one part of the song, the heroine says uh, that all rules are broken, uh, that that shame does not restrict my expression, um, and that the air trembles with thrill. so it's uh, this is actually written in Brojoboli. It's not exactly Bengali, my mother tongue. Um, it's an ancient uh, literary language that was used by um, Robindranath Tagore, or as we call in English Tagore, um, in one of her one of his books. Um, and this is a story of Radha and Krishna. Uh, and what I just gave you the translation was, you know, the the line of the heroine. Um, so I want to I want to take you through why you know this particularly through what it means to my childhood, but that's why I chose it. But the way you uh, started the translation, like the trans narrative, yeah. in, is strong in those few lines. Is that uh, I'm, 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 what I bet that was deliberate. Um, but, yes. <laughs> um my guess is also it requires some free interpretation, so to speak, to give it a trans definitely. narrative because that wasn't the initial idea when they wrote it. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I mean, when you read a book, you have to assume that the author is dead. Uh, and the book is what you carry forward. The words is what you carry forward and you make meaning out of those. And that's, I think, also what Tagore's intention was. I mean... He was a genius, and he he wrote he wrote in in a way that resonated with people across uh, across genders, across sexuality. So uh, you said this is one of your one of your very first musical memories, and um, like you loved dancing to this mm. as a kid. When how old were you? Did you actively started listening to music? Like were you how young were you when you became aware of music as a concept? Well, you know, my acquaintance with music, so I, growing up I, in a space driven by dance, I was acquainted with the music that, you know, uh, we used to perform on stage. Or my, So I learned dance from mum originally, and we still have that dance academy back home. Um, and so she used to do these performances, and I used to, you know, because we used to live right next to the studio, um, so I, I can always, I could always hear the the songs that came by from the studio, uh, and that was sort of my initial acquaintance with uh, with music, uh, quite young age. 
I used to sit, I remember I used to sit uh, at the studio very innocently because, you know, my mom used to hate me going into dance, being, you know, quote unquote, growing up as a boy, you wouldn't want your son to take up dancing when he could take up, uh, you know, other things like sports. So that was, <laughs> that was quite a thing, but it eventually changed. And now she tells me that, why don't you dance enough? So okay. it's quite funny. Yeah. Um, so uh, dancing was, was an entire thing. Um, hmm. How young were you when you started to dance? Like, do you actively remember and like maybe you're going to classes? How old are you? Did you did you attend classes? And if yes, how old were you at the time? Uh, <laughs> well, I can't exactly pinpoint, but it's been some 10, 12 years. So um, I don't exactly remember uh, the exact age, but, um, it, you know, it's been, I think, 10 years I learned dance. Um, and at that time, I, I could I could go to stage and uh, and perform dance. You know, I had certain liberties being the uh, dancer's son. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. The version of this song that you sent me, it says here, was yeah. from 2018, which hmm. feels right. uh, a bit too recent for you to be a childhood memory. So what's the story there? No, so this uh, song has obviously the song is very old but it has different versions it, this is a very modern version uh you wouldn't uh you know hear this specific version with this these instruments being played in the time that Tagore wrote uh or in the time that i heard it it was a very different very different uh, tone much slower much slower uh, and this is much faster uh but i think this song has this version particularly is one of my favorite because uh, again the way she sings it uh, uh again the way she enunciates the words and the way the music carries those words uh and pieces them together you know uh it, it becomes a dance piece and that is quite uh, exciting for me right just the, the general flow of the melody the, the way uh the way the right. singer approaches things it's just right. very reminiscent of that older version you used to dance to why did you decide to send in uh, this one specifically and not the older version well you know that's an interesting question also because i think uh back then i was uh, so to my younger past self my gender identity was yet to be unearthed um and with the gesture and posture that uh, that comes with the sort of dance when i interpret tagore um, I became in secret the great heroines of his stories in some sense. Right. Um, I was I was able to read and perform femininity not expected of my figure. Um, so that's, that was a very secretive thing. Uh, on the contrary, now, uh, Tagore's, uh, sorry, Tagore's heroines are no longer secret temptations. Um, even though I may not be able to do it on stage back home, you know, there's still that sense of um, anxiety and, uh, you know, all those things there. Uh, but I can still, I can perform that in my, in the comfort of my own home, away from my chosen, uh, natal home. Uh, so, uh, so that is quite uh, thrilling for me. Are you an nostalgic also, person? I'm sorry, what? Are you someone sorry. who gets nostalgic? Am I nostalgic? Am I someone who's nostalgic? Um, well, it, well, I think I am sometimes it's nice to think back about the days, but I mean, like, I wouldn't say that I'm a person who would enjoy being nostalgic because those days would, I mean, in some sense it were, it were, it, they were nice, you know, you wouldn't care much about things. Uh, but, uh, again, I was not who I am right now and that. Yeah, that changes things. So you mentioned before that, like, the first thing you said after we played this track is that you you, you focus on the lyrics. Um, so I take it you're definitely more a lyrical than a melodic person, <laughs> or is that too much of a too much of an assumption? I don't think. I mean, I would draw uh, a line between two. As a dancer, you would you will have to work with both. So it, by with the lyrics, I carry the image. And with the music, I get to know how to perform that image. 
what ways will the image move in the eyes of the spectator uh, and in the eyes and in the, you know how I listen to it what ways uh, so I think both ways uh, I would say personally <laughs> so um, you also have this other project called the women's writers project which also led me to believe that you're more of a lyrical person um, but why don't you go ahead and tell me and tell me about that yeah so um so the Women Writers Project uh, came together in uh, 2020 uh, amidst the pandemic, a terrible time, it's still a terrible time. Uh, and so a couple of women got together uh, and we made uh, and built this project from scratch. And you know, we say it's a women, women Writers Project, but women with an X. And that X, uh, we interpret it as having diverse interpretations as um, uh, crossing the boundaries of text, crossing the boundaries of language. So it has multiple meanings when we talk about women with an X and how we understand it through the project. Yeah, from what I gathered, that, that, that women's with an X thing, um, I've seen several things left and right that, that isn't actually as diverse and trans-inclusive as people interpret it to mean. But I'm not entirely sure where I stand on that because it doesn't personally affect me. So I didn't read up on it as much as I should. Um, how do you interpret that? Yeah, no. So we we are uh, not, uh, you know, talking about women with an X as in, uh, have, you know, about identities. Uh, we talk when we say women writers project, women with an X, uh, we talk about writing as an act. We talk about writing as a process. We generally we necessarily don't talk about bodies. But we also carry with that uh, uh, that we, when we talk about Women Writers Project, we take into account the writings by women from marginalized gender, ident gender identities, caste, and class locations. Uh, because that X also represents a resistance. Um, and I mean, that's how we have interpreted it. We have not really interpreted it as uh, something to do uh, solely with identities. Right. It also it, it kind of also feels like um, a specific way to stylize it. Like um, yeah. I don't know. Like uh, the the X is easily associable with the act of putting a cross a, to paper with a pen. I don't know. It's yeah. uh, obviously that goes for all writing, but I don't know. Um, I'm yeah. I'm not entirely sure how 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 to feel about this. What um, What's what's the what's the general goal with this with this with this project? I mean, so I think also I I also feel that queerness in some sense. I mean, when we say style, I mean style is also the the, the idea of language in general is very diverse. And when we talk about the Women Writers Project, we also talk about including those diverse voices. And when we talk about that, we talk about solidarities. We talk about building solidarities. We talk about building networks. Um, and that is, I think, what the project is, uh, will be doing. It's still it's in its nascent stage. Um, we talk about bringing uh, you know, young literature to the foreground um, and talk about young, diverse voices of women, um, you know, viewing a greater sense of agency into writing. So do you, to draw the line back to music, do you feel like your music uh, also reflects your love for writing? For example, do you um, really enjoy lyrics that are like, tell a story and stuff like that? Yeah, you know, that... Uh, so we published something called a prologue, which was a collection of stories. Um, and we uh, we collected uh, music from, so suppose somebody wrote a piece and there's the word autumn in it. So we took the sound of autumn in, and imbued it into a, a track. So there was um, a sound that came from my piece, the sound that came from somebody, my colleague's piece, and we built a, a track with all these and we and I think I've never seen this uh, that we also that we give the reader not just the words in the text but we also give a taste of what it uh, may have sounded like when the writer uh, uh, was writing it what what would you say the link is I mean just out of the blue what would you say the link is between the women's writers project and music if there is one 
Well, um, I think, you know, what you were talking about earlier, about lyrics, about language, and that words often have a musical value to it. And we often may, may have dismissed it. Um, it. It's not just speech. It's, it, also has, it also carries weight of sound. Uh, so I think that is an interesting way to draw um, a connection between music and writing and that, that they go hand in hand. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, writing has uh, influenced music uh, as we listen to. All, all music is writing. Uh, sorry, not all music is writing, but I mean, uh, the tracks that I selected today is all uh, music that is written. Yeah. All right, with that, let's dive into track number two. David, don't make me spell it out for you. All of the feelings that I got for you. Can't be explained, but I can try for you. Yeah, baby, don't make me spell it out for you. You keep on asking me the same questions. Why? And second guessing all my intentions. She know by the way I use my compression That you got the answers to my confessions It's like I'm powerful with a little bit of tender And emotional sexual bender Mess me up, yeah, but no one does it better There's nothing better That's just the way you make me feel that's just the way you make me feel That's just the way you make uh-huh. me feel So good, so good, so fucking real Uh-huh That's just the way you make me feel That's just the way you make me feel That's just the way you make me feel You know I love you so please don't stop it You got me right here An in your amazing dream. artist Can't go wrong with Janelle Monet. Um Someone who has, in fact, been mentioned on this podcast before, but who am I to deny playing her again? Also, it's been like it's been like a year. I can play the same artist if a year has passed. Come on. Um, anyway, make me feel, Neil. Why this track? Well, I mean, you know, Janelle is, is has been is a recent favorite, and um, she, she's a queer woman of color, and her lyrics carry the feisty spirit of a young queer voice. Um, this song particularly as I see it in a very critical way you know it's about bodies about sexuality about desire that's you know it means very different it means uh, very different things in my context um, as as a trans woman um, but it's also very and the thrill of it, it actually comes through through the song yeah that's why I think I chose this song it's quite fun, yeah. <laughs> um, I've I've seen her live and it was mind blowing. Oh. Actually, before uh, before amazing. the show, I looked up which pronouns to use when talking about Janelle, and um, yeah, the 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 Twitter bio says it all. <laughs> it, just the use of emojis is already amazing. Like it's an alien, it's a robot, it's a spaceship, it's a planet, it's. It's it's wonderful <laughs> chaos you want it to be. Um, wonderful chaos. That's a really nice way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's right. I mean, for some people, their gender is just one one, one wonderful chaos. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> it is. It has to be disorder. Um, it's also you know it when you talk about chaos, wonderful chaos. It it also makes me think, uh, you know, in my context, how you become a woman. Um, also that, you know, Simone de Beauvoir says in the Second Sex book uh, that what is not born, but rather becomes a woman. And that becoming for me is, is as you know, it's it's not just uh, a simple act. It's it's a very vibrant and a very detailed act. You know, it's about uh, the anxiety of presenting as, a, as a, present, a presentation, you know, the anxiety of presentation, how I... Uh, what does a woman look like in the eyes of my neighbors, those across the street, at shops, at eateries, um, in the eyes of whom I love and whom I detest? So, you know, it's it's, it's all those ways um, that 
people around you see the image of a woman. And there's always that anxiety that you have to be that image. What we often call in trans parlance is passing, you know, and, and you, I always, I though there is this anxiety, I do definitely derive pleasure out of it. I, I feel happy. Um, I feel safe and I belong that I acknowledge that I'm acknowledged. Uh, when I see myself in the mirror after getting re- dressed. Um, so, you know, that is, that is that wonderful chaos, I think, uh, how I would put it. Like, yeah, walking the fine line between um, anxiety and gender euphoria as, as the way you, yeah. you described mm. it. That's, that's very powerful. So how do you, how do you experience gender? Uh, how to experience gender? <laughs> well, it's, uh, I think it's generally the ways I foreground the world around me. And uh, I think gender is also goes hand in hand with all my everyday actions. Uh, a simple walk from my home to the shop 500 meters away will invariably involve questions of gender, will invo- invariably involve um, you know, understanding uh, and looking at gender. Uh, so that is something that has that I have to carry with, and it's sometimes it's sometimes bizarre that the only way you look it through is gender, uh, but it's also thrilling to you know uh, to subvert the norm to be a woman that you that carries with herself a different language of femininity. So that is that is something which is. Uh, this this balance and imbalance or imbalance, uh, however one would call it, uh, is how I would see gender. But you know, unlike sexuality, gender is a very gender is a heavier, more compound word to grasp. So it has always been a challenge for me. In what ways do you do you experience it as a challenge? Because it sounds like you you're, you it yeah. sounds like you're you're pretty confident about your presentation about who you are and what you do where where are the little pit holes in the where the little the little pitfalls well you know i've had let's just say i've had experience <laughs> i mean like i've had i've had to i have have i've enjoyed doing this uh, but it's only been like late uh 2016 when i came to delhi when i came to uh uh, the university that I studied later, that I felt that I am uh, a woman, um, that I felt uh, more affirmed of my gender identity. It was quite late. Um, and I mean, of course, it's always a process uh, to uh, to feel affirmed and to feel um, comfortable uh, with yourself. But I mean, in general, you know, uh, you've, you have to go through the trials and tribulations given the kind of uh, atmosphere that we um, live in, in, uh, in India, you know, um, there, there may be a lot of pink washing, there may be a lot of saying that uh, we do this, we do that. Uh, but it, uh, but it's, it is still a very, uh, not the best place for, uh, you know, um, trans persons. Uh, we have a horrible act passed in Parliament that has come down on our neck. And there are innumerable things. There are ways that, you know, the administration says that trans people should be uh, adored as, you know, that they should be seen as gods. And, you know, but when you say that, when you when you say that, you don't give them rights. So it's a, it's a very messy terrain, but you also get to have some fun with it sometimes. <laughs> so what are some, what are some misconceptions about queer people in India? Because I feel like there are quite a few. Well, talking about, if I have to be specific um, about uh, the trans discourse, um, there is a perv- all permeating uh, discourse in in both uh, the government and in parts of the judiciary. Uh, there is an overwhelming sense of uh, putting trans into one category. At some points, uh, uh, you know, uh, saying that um, all trans persons must be the same, they must all feel the same, they must all look the same. So what what this does is it uh, it does not take into account the experiences that trans persons face, and it also denies them the agency to 
be who they are to affirm in um, however ways they want to without going through multiple documents without going through multiple screening procedures so that is what i mean there's so there's a cultural a community of trans women who are called hijras and they're co- they are uh, known so in different in different uh, paths in different ways so there's always this there's in some ways uh, this discourse that that often runs in government that uh, you know that uh, the only trans persons are the hijra persons or or all hijra persons are trans persons both of them are false if yeah. me as a foreigner you, like you mentioned like um the yeah. one thing you think of when 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 uh when's like an indian queer uh yeah. tradition like the hijra thing that's the first thing that comes up and that's yeah. something that you're explicitly not right exactly yeah Hijra is uh, Hijra persons is a cultural community. It's a socio-cultural term. It's not a gender term per se. Uh, so it's a very specific community. Uh, so I was saying uh, that uh, yeah. So it's a the Hijra community is a very specific socio-cultural community, uh, very specific to a particular region uh, or regions in a cluster. you know there's also this very peculiar thing about um it, it also comes into the the judgment that was passed by the supreme court uh, the nalsa ruling uh, which gave uh, trans persons um that they they be given equal rights to welfare equal rights to participation uh, in public discourse uh, protection from discrimination um and the very fundamental right to self identify with their gender which the government refuses to uh put into uh the act that they have passed um but even in the even in the even in the uh the legal document uh, there's a peculiar notion of third gender as if we have something called a first gender or a second gender i mean it's it's absolutely ridiculous to assign a number i mean who is a first gender who is a second gender and how do you come to terms with the third gender like what's the social right. hierarchy there exactly yeah that's ridiculous yeah so that is how the common misconception uh, goes uh, but that is what you know trans communities are challenging at every front uh they are challenging it through petitions they are challenging it through protests through representations in conferences in academia um in diverse fields and i think that is uh, a very good thing um despite the odds so um do you have some cool initiatives that you want to shout out some 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 action groups some activists that you want to uh highlight Mention. here on the show yeah. uh because of all of the work they're doing for for queer people in india it definitely definitely so uh there is um a lovely group, lovely organization called nazaria a queer feminist resource group um wonderful friends who are there then there is um there are a lot of these uh, collectives also you know not just organizations but there are also these collectives queer collectives who work in campuses um and they are also doing great work there's also a lovely friend of mine who does fundraisers um across south india um and they have helped with providing sarees to trans women uh, during the pandemic um uh, their name is um arvind and they can be found on instagram and i think these this little ways and not just the big big ticket names are actually doing the more harder uh work on ground um providing sustenance to trans communities we'll put a link to all of those amazing organizations in the show notes um and yeah if you're you as a listener are facing some misconceptions you want to deal with um again reach out either to me or to any community out there and um find help if you need some and if you feel like you need some if you could use a friend uh, a shoulder to to lean on etc cetera, etc cetera. for now track number 3 when yes. chime a toast hold on tonight i'll follow you into the moonlight fear that makes me strong i believe 
past the endless dawn, and then to live to see the sunlight. Persistence to prevail, I believe. No turning back, ain't no regrets in this lifetime. Chase the fire along, I believe To last the endless storm And then to live to see the sunlight Persistence to prevail, I believe Holding on to see how life turns out Killing the fall this but i think the song is in a waltz time signature three-fourth maybe i'm not entirely sure uh, which uh, I'm, i'm a sucker for a good three-fourth um do you do you play the instrument uh i mean i do play guitar uh occasionally oh. i started out playing bass when i was like 14 13 that's amazing um I'm, that's no great. one ever asked me this before uh, thank you for that <laughs> we should play more that'd be great um but yeah that's it this was fun when when chime toast the third track of 2018 of this episode <laughs> no no so this uh, this uh this band is also a favorite of a, a very close and dear friend of mine um and i saw this uh i saw them live in a concert um and i saw well she has seen them live uh, more than i have Uh, but I saw them first live in a concert at uh, the university, at Ambedkar University, Delhi. That's in New Delhi, um, where I did my master's. Um, so that is, I think it was during the college, during the university fest when they were invited. And it was absolutely a very thrilling experience to be uh, uh, to be there, surrounded by friends. And, and this song, believe, it's quite literally is a song of hope. Uh, and I, at both the melody and the lyric, it's quite beautiful, I think. All right. Um, so, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, again, um, like uh, I'm, I'm hoping I get at least something right about you. Um, you <laughs> studied performance arts. Um, performance studies which is uh, which is different from performing arts so uh, performance studies so it's a, it's a very it's an emerging field in india um it's quite developed in the us and uk uh, so with performance studies you look at uh, you know you look at thing you look at uh, things through the lens of performance so through gesture through posture through movement 
uh, through the mise scene uh, or the atmosphere, the scene at which the action takes place. Um, so you imagine these acts and you, uh, and you think critically about them more. And it's quite a diverse... That's also definitely something that makes you look at concerts differently. Well, um, so when you... It's not just about being spectator, but often when you have to become spect actors, which, which, which means to say that you also take part, take active part in the performance. And sometimes many, many, uh, many theatre shows do that, that kind of experimental work. I think it's it comes from Augusta Bowles' work. Uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of that concept. But it, it's more like being a more active participant um, uh, when you're watching or viewing a concert. Uh, so there is also, um, if you're looking at critically, if you're looking at a concert critically, you're looking at uh, not, just, uh, not just the text of the concert, but also where it is playing. Uh, who is it being addressed to, who are playing it, and in what ways are they enacting the scene. Um, and it's not just about, you know, so my work in performance studies was more about understanding social processes. So my dissertation was uh, based uh, on a queer cafe in New Delhi, and I looked at how that cafe, um, how you were performing uh, queerness in that cafe you know, through the different uh, events, through the ways that people come in. Um, and this cafe, this, this cafe is in a very romantic place in Delhi. So that, that is that thrill also. Um, and how it is again a very new liberal establishment. And, you know, so uh, to just say that performance studies is as vast and it's uh, not just concerts and theatres, but it's also about in a very deep level, understanding the ways we see the world. And with how performative, um, with how performative gender is, did it, did your studies also make hmm. you look that differently? Definitely, definitely. Um, I think uh, it's not. I won't say it's just the discipline, but also uh, the people I interacted with on campus. So I was part of the AUD Queer Collective. Uh, and together with uh, friends at the collective, we organized events, we organized uh, conferences. Uh, we organized something called the Queer Fest, which happened um, every year. And I think it still happens. So those are the kind of, you know, uh, different ways I got acquainted with, you know, uh, not just the subject, but also uh, the ways I can be of use in the subject or the ways my queerness can be explored through the subject. So that was that was quite interesting. And in talking about this, uh, we often understate, uh, friendships are often understated in queerness. Uh, and I think that is something which has definitely been uh, an integral part to my journey uh, on campus and off as well. Right. So you, you view, um, like from your, from, from, body language basically based on your study you can yeah. you can kind of decipher an entire friendship or am i am i overstating your your capabilities now yeah definitely that would mean that i'm a witch <laughs> which i am okay with being but uh i don't think um it would be that uh, easy or literal because friendships are very complex um and friendships also carry a lot of I mean, different ways you understand uh, the role of each other. One would not be able to put a fine point on what queer friendships means, uh, but one one can say that queer friendships is um, has been or continues to be a very important factor in the mental health of queer persons. Um, for someone like me who have made a cho who have made a home in Delhi and. Uh, I call this home as my chosen home because I do not want to be at my natal home, which can be sometimes um, not physically violent, but in other ways, you know, um, not affirmative. So in some ways I do am partial, I, I am partial to, to friendships a lot uh, uh, because I think it has played a very important role in uh, my, in understanding my, in coping with my, with the ways that I, live in Delhi and um, interact, not interact, live in Delhi and perform my gender and sexuality. 
Yeah, no, you've that's that's also something that you might have picked up on, like with uh, every connection to a friend you've got with a song, like you pointed that out, which you know I think is very telling. Like the importance of friendship is definitely understated, and um, yeah, I mean it also I guess ties in with all of the other things we said before, like just having a person to talk to and having someone to interact with in an affirmative situation. Uh, informative of environment. Uh, for the last track of the day, you've selected um, Motion Sickness by Phoebe Bridgers. Why that one? Well, it's really uh, my go-to song. Like when I'm, It's just a song that I listen to when I feel... When I feel... Uh, how do I say it? It's just that one song, you know, it's always in your head that you play at... at uh, at even times when you're happy or sad and so this is also very um this is also by a queer artist uh phoebe bridges um and um this is also a song i listen to with my friends together so it has much more more intimate value to it all right um and how did you uh how did you find out about phoebe bridges it's labeled under most recent discovery i feel like this brand of indie rock yeah. i mean this uh this song specifically once again 2018 so amazing mm. we've got 18s across the board mm. but you know this this brand of indie rock i feel like is a relatively relatively new i guess i'm not entirely sure mm. how do you how do you feel about that oh uh, well i i'm definitely not knowledgeable in that area but <laughs> uh i my playlist is full of indie songs um so i have been listening to a lot of indie lately uh it's quite refreshing i think it's quite refreshing to to see this genre emerging and i think the artists are doing great work what would you say oh yeah absolutely i mean i love that phoebe was nominated for for a grammy um i'm not entirely sure if she yeah. won by now she might have oh, I don't. Maybe, maybe not um and yeah i mean that that entire latest album of hers is mm. is just amazing I'm also particularly fond of Better Oblivion Community Center, which I saw her play live with together with Connor Oberst. But you're talking, you're 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 talking to to a fan music nerd here, so you know. Ooh. <laughs> so you've listened to Phoebe uh, before as well. Yeah, no, you sh you should you should definitely check out all of her stuff. Like some other artists I talked about in previous episode, like. Uh, like Lucy Dacus, um, Julian Baker, mm. um, all all of that stuff. But you know, I'm not gonna let you dive into this rabbit hole right now. Um, let's just let's let's go call it a day and um, have everyone else look up uh, this amazing music themselves. Um, this has been Queer Sounds. Thanks again so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can visit patreon.com slash queersounds. Um, if you don't want to support financially, you can do so by just telling a friend about how lovely this here podcast is, if you think, if, if, if that's an opinion you share, by sharing it with your friends on your socials or just whenever someone asks you, like, hey, do you got any cool podcasts to recommend? You're like, hell yeah, Queer Sounds. That's something you should listen to. Um, Queer Sounds Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, I guess that's been it. Good to be back. <laughs>